Well, hello, friends everywhere, and welcome to our World Goodwill webinar today. My name is Simon, and I work with the Lucis Trust in London. The format for today's webinar is that I will speak for a few minutes about goodwill and its relevance for us individually and for humanity as a whole today. This will be followed by us all doing a group meditation uh, on goodwill together. Then uh, we will hear from our guest speaker and co-worker, Michael Bream. He will look at goodwill in the context of fear and on how goodwill has the potential ultimately to create a world without fear. He will start by drawing on his experiences in the tea industry for this, and then we will broaden it out into a discussion on how goodwill can help us all to face fear, to recognise the causes of fear, and hopefully find some way to deal with them. Perhaps we can call this a goodwill approach to fear. There are two main reasons for hosting, for holding these goodwill webinars. Firstly, they are an opportunity to remind us all of the value and the transforming power of goodwill. Secondly, in our meditation in a few minutes, we will consciously make use of the fact that goodwill is not just a loving attitude of mind and heart, though of course it is this. It is actually a powerful energy that can be directed out into the world in an exercise of human transformation. In this way, it can stimulate the hearts and minds of people around the world into expressing goodwill and a cooperative spirit. In fact, I believe that the energy of goodwill is to be found in the heart of every person in the world. With the majority of people, it is clearly present and works out in the many spontaneous kindnesses that I'm sure we all both receive and give too in our daily lives. With a few, it might be a bit more buried, submerged perhaps beneath patterns of emotional trauma or concealed by the prison bars of fanatical thought. But it is there, nevertheless. And with skill in action, it can eventually be evoked. Given the right opportunity and the right use of words and actions, the energy of goodwill can elicit a response and help draw out the best in people. On a personal level, I'm sure we will all have had direct experience of the truth that even if some problem is really difficult one to solve, with goodwill on all sides, it is possible to come to the necessary creative understanding and make the right compromises that will see a resolution to the problem that benefits everyone. Equally, some of us might also have experienced the opposite, an easy problem that cannot be resolved simply because the principle of goodwill is not present enough to overcome the antagonisms and hostilities that lie behind the problem. Goodwill is love in action. Like a smile, it is infectious. It has been described as the touchstone that can transform the world. So rightly worked with, goodwill can produce transformative effects, not just on a personal and community level, but on the national and international levels too. Of course, we are all observing the many horrors of injustice, of violence and suffering in various parts of today's world, and maybe some of us are even directly involved in them in some way. The heartbreaking effects of national and international selfishness and ill will, hatreds indeed, must surely be stirring us all to imagine ways in which we can be of some help, ways that will allow the love that underlies the happenings of the time to be brought to the surface and do its urgent job of reconciliation and healing. I'm reminded of the prayer found in the Ravensbrook concentration camp 
on a scrap of wrapping paper near the body of a dead child. O Lord, remember not only the men and women of goodwill, but also those of ill will. But do not remember all the suffering they have inflicted upon us. Remember the fruits we have borne thanks to this suffering, our comradeship, our loyalty, our humility, our courage, our generosity, the greatness of heart which has grown out of all this. And when they come to the judgment, let all the fruits that we have borne be their forgiveness. I think this shows us how human beings are extraordinarily capable of so much love and goodwill amidst so much hate and cruelty. It shows how even in the direst circumstances, we are capable of still wanting the best for everyone. To my mind, this reveals another aspect of goodwill, and this is its capacity to open the doors for us to experience the power of sacrificial love. Let us remember that an attitude of goodwill helps us to see humanity from the perspective of the soul. When we can do this, we become aware that there is actually a great tide of light sweeping through the human family today. This is the light from the soul. This is the light that embodies the best that humanity is capable of. The excellence in every field of human interest and activity. We can see astonishing achievements in the sciences, in the arts, and in the world of education, and so on. But by this light, we also see the shadow side of the human condition, the darkness. All the selfish behaviour, the sordid motives, the deliberate cruelties, the corruption that have lain hidden beneath the surface are now being forcefully brought to our attention. And it is not a nice experience. But it is happening so that we can deal with it all, with goodwill, with understanding, with love and with justice. Just as each of us have to deal with our own issues in order to be able to move forward on the path, the same is now happening to humanity as a whole. But humanity is equipped to deal with it. And all people of goodwill can be a part of the energised impulse to help humanity measure up to the stupendous opportunities for human renewal that exists for us all now. We cannot plead that we do not know what is at stake. So let us prepare to go into our goodwill meditation together now. Before we start, let us hold the following thoughts in our minds. That this is a group world effort and we are sharing it with thousands of people of goodwill all around the world. Let us understand that at the heart of our being, we are souls and as such, we are in communion with all souls and have telepathic rapport with them. Remember that energy follows thought. Understand that the meditation we're going to do is a positive, creative use of the mind in which we actively link the inner and outer worlds of soul and form. We need to use the creative imagination to see ourselves at one with all humanity and with all that is progressive, spiritual and working for human welfare and right human relations. Lastly, let us adopt a confident attitude. Let us know that together we are acting as a channel for the energy of, of goodwill. This attitude can and will produce potent results. So now, let us go into our meditation on goodwill.
let's let's make sure we have adopted a comfortable alert position. Now we link up in thought with all those people throughout the world who are working with this Goodwill Meditation Group. Let us now reflect upon the fact of relationship. We are all related to our families and friends, our communities, the country we live in, the world of nations. And of course, the one humanity made up of all races and nations. Now let us sound together the mantra of unification. The souls of all are one, and I am one with them. I seek to love, not hate. I seek to serve and not exact due service. I seek to heal, not hurt. Let pain bring due reward of light and love. Let the soul control the outer form and life and all events and bring to light the love that underlies the happenings of the time. Let vision come and insight. 
let the future stand revealed. Let inner union demonstrate and outer cleavages be gone. Let love prevail. Let all people love. Now let us reflect upon our own and humanity's relationship with all the beings who dwell in the higher realms of mind and heart, the spiritual hierarchy of saints, rishis, bodhisattvas and masters who are honoured by all the world's religions and spiritual groups. Now let us imagine that we are standing together within the centre of the spiritual hierarchy, immersed in the consciousness of the heart of love. For some, this heart of love is known as the Christ. Other faiths have different names for the one at the centre, such as Maitreya, the Imam Mahdi and the Kalki Avatar. But it is the same great identity. Maintaining that high point of contact, let our thoughts reach out to include all members of the human family in whom the energy of goodwill is active.
Let us sound together the affirmation. In the center of all love I stand. From that center I, the soul, will outward move. From that center I, the one who serves, will work. May the love of the divine self be shed abroad in my heart, through my group, and throughout the world. Now let us visualize the energy of love flowing from the spiritual hierarchy through all people of goodwill and into the hearts and minds of all humanity, infusing them with goodwill, creating loving and harmonious human relationships. Now we will meditate for a few minutes <clears throat> on ways of spreading goodwill, creating right human relationships and restoring, restoring a dynamic peace on earth. Realize that we are helping to build a channel between a spiritual hierarchy and humanity through which the energy of goodwill may flow, uniting humanity, solving its problems and healing all differences and cleavages.
So, linked in thought with men and women of goodwill all over the world, let us sound the great invocation. We sound it with deliberation and full commitment to its meaning, knowing that we are radiating its potent energies to all of humanity. From the point of light within the mind of God, let light stream forth into human minds. Let light descend on earth. From the point of love within the heart of God, let love stream forth into human hearts. May the coming one return to earth. From the centre where the will of God is known, let purpose guide all little human wills, the purpose which the masters know and serve. From the centre which we call the human race, let the plan of love and light work out, and may it seal the door where evil dwells. Let light and love and power restore the plan on earth. Thank you for all for that. And now we come to the part of the webinar where we hear from our guest speaker, Michael Bream. Mike is a student of the work and a valued co-worker. Professionally, he's the chairman of a major tea company operating in East Africa and India. He will talk about creating a world free from fear approaching the subject from his experiences in the tea industry. And then we will broaden it out into what we might call a goodwill approach to the problem of fear. Michael. Hello, Simon. Yes, you're there. Hello. I'm here. Hi. Hi, everyone. Hello, everyone. Um, it's a joy to be here with you all today. Um, can you hear me? Okay, yes, Simon? very well. Very well. Um, so firstly, I just would like to thank Simon and Chris Morgan for inviting me to join this Goodwill webinar. Um, it's a wonderful opportunity to share some thoughts with all of you. So thank you for having me. Um, I would like to talk about Goodwill and its potential ultimately to create a world without fear. As we delve into the topic of goodwill and its transformative power, I want to emphasize that while creating a world without fear may seem like an impossibility, it is through goodwill that we can take significant steps towards achieving this goal. Let's begin by shining a light on a seemingly unrelated issue, the tea industry. It employs a staggering 13 million people worldwide, with 75% of its workforce being women. However, what might surprise many is the dark shadow that looms over this industry. 
Independent studies indicate that three in four women in the tea industry work or seek work in fear of sexual exploitation, abuse and harassment. Sadly, the very cup of tea that many of us enjoy, that restores and revives, includes a dose of fear and violence for these women. The causes of this fear are multifaceted. First, there's the systemic risk inherent in the tea industry, where women often leave the protection of their families and communities to seek employment, often on a seasonal basis. Second, the very structure of tea plantations, designed during colonial times, was meant for control, not protection. And third, the price of tea today is lower than it was when I began my career in the tea industry 44 years ago, resulting in a lack of investment in professional safeguarding management practices. The fear in the tea industry is real and present, but it's only through goodwill that we can address it. Most women don't report abuse out of fear, and transforming this industry is a complex challenge. However, I firmly believe it can be achieved if there is an industry-wide commitment to address three fundamental questions. First, how do we protect women working away from their communities? Second, how do we fix an abusive system within the tea industry? And third, how do we address the low price of tea that prevents women from thriving? For major tea brands that do not grow tea but purchase it on the open market, the question becomes, what do we need to do to lead by example and end violence against women in the tea industry? For tea brands, resellers, retailers and consumers, the answer is simple. It's a matter of awareness and demonstrating goodwill. The goodwill of tea drinkers to pay a price for a cup of tea that does not take advantage of the exploitation of women working in tea. The goodwill of retailers to draw a baseline on the price per kilogram. And the goodwill of tea brands to pledge to do the most, not the least, by making three commitments. To work for tea farmers, not the other way around. To agree to direct contracts with tea farmers that reflect the true cost of tea and suspend, auction, and suspend buying at auction. And to invest an extra amount of money on every kilogram to achieve best practices and fund independent NGO and community-based initiatives. In the work to be done in tea and in other industries facing similar challenges, it is the goodwill, the energy of goodwill, in fact, that holds the key to solving the problem of fear. Once fear is out in the open, once all people become aware of its presence, we can begin the process of healing and transformation. However, fear has a crafty way of hiding and avoiding being called out. Victims of abuse often face the additional burden of cultural shaming, which keeps fear and violence unaddressed. As we think about the problem of fear in the tea industry and its transformation, I urge us to trust in the idea that fear is not something anyone should face alone. Let us ask for help and offer help to those who need it. But the issue of fear in the tea industry is just one example of how goodwill can be the solution. It's fascinating to consider how goodwill often comes into play whenever the issue at hand is rooted in fear. Many of these fears are not illusory. They are based on the factual realities of the physical world. These fears arise from illness, poverty, homelessness and countless other challenges that affect billions of people worldwide, regardless of whether they live in wealthy or impoverished nations. It's crucial to acknowledge these very real fears. Throughout history, goodwill has played a pivotal role in reducing fear's foothold and ultimately dismantling the mountains of fear that divide people, communities and nations. It is goodwill that paves the path to lasting peace. Fear appears to have no limits, from global fears to personal ones, but neither does goodwill. It's through goodwill that we create groups and institutions dedicated to addressing illness, 
poverty, homelessness, and embodying goodwill more successfully. Attempting to live in the face of fear is an experience we all share. Whether those fears are grounded in reality or are products of our imagination, they have a profound impact. Fear's most notable quality is its divisiveness, its ability to drive wedges between us. In stark contrast, goodwill is built on a foundation of love and trust. Apart from the more obvious forms of fear, there are also subtler forms. Fear of the future, fear about our purpose in life, and fear as a glamour that distorts our vision of the future. We see this in the world of finance, international politics and domestic politics, where fear can hold back, can hold people back from making progress. We can also examine how fear manifests within our own thoughts and desires. This introspection can guide us in diminishing fear and contribute to leading humanity towards a more joyful and spiritual life. Now, as we navigate through the complex landscape of fear and goodwill, it's essential to draw inspiration from those who have envisioned a brighter future. In this context, I'd like to invoke the timeless wisdom of Franklin D. Roosevelt, the 32nd President of the United States. In his State of the Union address on January the 6th, 1941, President Roosevelt articulated what have come to be known as the Four Freedoms. These freedoms are fundamental principles that today continue to resonate as a beacon of hope and optimism. The first of these freedoms is freedom of speech and expression. In a world where fear often stifles voices and suppresses creativity, this freedom encourages us to speak our minds, share our thoughts, and express ourselves without fear of retribution. It's a cornerstone of democracy and a powerful tool for change. The second freedom is freedom of worship. This principle reminds us that we should be free of fear to practice our faith or not without facing discrimination or persecution. It fosters understanding, tolerance and respect for diverse belief systems all of which are essential for a harmonious world. The third freedom is freedom from want. This speaks to the basic human right to live free from poverty, hunger, and the fear of economic instability. It envisions a world where everyone has access to the essentials of life, ensuring a sense of security and well-being for all. And finally, the fourth freedom is freedom from fear precisely the theme of our discussion today. Roosevelt described this as a worldwide reduction of armaments to such a point and in such a thorough fashion that no action, sorry, no nation will be in a position to commit an act of physical aggression against any neighbour anywhere in the world. In essence, it is the absence of fear from the spectre of war, conflict, violence. These four freedoms encapsulate a vision of a world where fear is replaced with freedom, where goodwill prevails, and where the potential for positive change knows no bounds. In the face of contemporary challenges, these guiding lights offer us a tangible roadmap towards a future where fear diminishes and goodwill flourishes. While the journey may be long and arduous, the four freedoms remind us that the as our aspirations for a better world are not only noble, but also achievable. In conclusion, as we reflect on these principles, we are inspired to channel our collective efforts into building a world that, in, that embodies these freedoms. In doing so, we can pave the way for a brighter, more, more hopeful, less fearful future for generations to come. A fear-free world might seem impossible, but a fearless world is surely a matter of goodwill. It's a rich and complex subject, and I believe that by acknowledging fear, promoting goodwill and working together, we can take significant steps towards a world where fear holds no dominion. Thank you, everyone, for the opportunity to speak and engage in this discussion.
Thank you, Mike. That was really lovely. And I can't see on my screen if there's anybody wanting to ask a question or uh, make a comment, but I'm sure there will be soon. But before that happens, um, you mentioned the uh, third of Roosevelt's four freedoms, which was the freedom from want and the human right for everybody in the world to have the basic essentials for life. And this reminds me of a book that was published about, must be about 10 years ago, called by, um, can't remember the author, it was called The Spirit Level. And it was a statistical analysis of how the countries where there was not a great difference between the rich and the poor were much more healthy societies. And that is, compare that with countries where there was a gross disparity between extreme poverty and obscene wealth. And those are the countries which manifested all the indicators of social malaise, the murder rate, divorce rate, drug addiction, uh, teenage pregnancies, all those things. And uh, they bought this book out. And the all the experts were wheeled out to show that their analysis was wrong. And the more they tried to show them this, the more they proved them right. So in terms of that third freedom, we really do need to somehow work towards a more equitable society, seems to me. Yes, it certainly seems so. Um. Certainly in my own experience in the world of tea, um, I've traded internationally for many years and it does seem that there is a excessive competition and excessive capability to, uh, take advantage of the less, uh, the less equal, if you like, economically disadvantaged. Um, and it's something that is taking a long time to, is it taking, seems to be taking a long time worldwide for people to realize that everything they do has an impact on somebody else and therefore yeah. a little bit of consideration as to uh what's how how to be how to live and act more equitably um is something that's not hugely on our radar but, yeah uh, it, it, it's uh, it's even in your cup of tea it's that difficult <laughs> <laughs> um i see there's somebody called john horan who's got his hand up would you like to unmute yourself john Thank you, Simon. Yes. Michael, bravo. What a fantastic talk and so sorely needed at this time. I don't think you could have chosen a better subject. And I'm just enthralled that you brought up the four freedoms of uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. When I was being educated in the 60s and 70s, we were taught about this briefly in the United States, as the years have gone by and I've become a teacher myself, when I talk to people about the four freedoms, the younger generation has never heard of them. They're no longer being taught or discussed. And it is said at the time there was great resistance to them, Michael, because uh, the then opposition party at the time regarded these principles as extraneous, extravagant, and an attempt by Roosevelt to codify his New Deal. We're all in this together collectivist policies. Um, I think the time has come and I just wanted to say thank you for reminding us and thank you for your brilliant talk and work. Thank you, John. Very kind. This reminds me, rather interestingly, of a little village church near where I live. And the, there's a memorial on the wall to the son of the squire who was killed in the war in somewhere in Italy. And the memorial says, he died for God, king, country, 
and the four freedoms. And I've never seen that anywhere else. And every time they get a new vicar, I tell him he must do a sermon on it. And they, he never does. <laughs> um, somebody called Kit Turin. Would you like to unmute yourself, Kit? Hello? Yes, we can hear you. Okay, wonderful. Uh, thank you, Simon and Michael, for both of your beautiful talks. And I wanted to share an experience I had. And that was, I was um, once in a group and we were sitting in a circle and we were asked to just think within our own minds of all the communities we are a part of. And, and, and that's also, you know, part of our goodwill meditation. Um, but so I was sitting there and I think I'm going to start to jot them down. I think I had reached 30 communities I was a part of, and it might have been very loosely a part of, you know, to living in an apartment building, things like that. And then it just came into my mind that, oh, I am part of the community of those who can feel fear. And it's like my heart broke open because I real it suddenly struck me, oh, how much you know, there are, there are different times when we can be acting from fear. And that can be something I suddenly experience it as a way of having more compassion for everyone. The realization that, oh, people, you know, maybe who I disagree with or all sorts of things or even myself, we can be coming from fear. And that realization was something that I could, and when I remember to, can use as something to increase my compassion. So I just wanted to share that, although I suppose to some people that might be very counterintuitive. Thank you very much. That's lovely. Um, one of the questions that... Uh, arose in my mind from your talk, Mike, was how does the fair trade movement um, measure up to these problems? Does it have a special policy? I would say it's been a very interesting, it's a very interesting question because lots of the movements, whether it's fair trade or things like Rainforest Alliance, they're they're fairly general, so they try to cover all areas so if we're talking about a tea plantation perhaps in say let's say malawi for the sake of example or could be kenya um or any 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 tea producing nation um the approach is fairly general and it's there to sort of set a minimum standard so that and they definitely will work over time to improve conditions and it's certainly something I've had involvement with for, for a long time, and it, it definitely makes a difference. But this particular issue of fear of uh, SIA, the sexual exploitation, abuse and harassment, is such a hidden uh, issue mm. that it's so difficult. And it sounds it sounds it sounds illogical and, and it sounds like we're not doing a very good job because we're not seeing these things. But these, this particular issue seems to plague plantations where the organization is systemically able or enables these awful behaviors and uh, acts of violence. And the extent of it was revealed fairly recently. In fact, last year, this year with the BBC did a documentary where they went undercover and did this. And so fair trade is aware. Everyone is aware, but no, there are no real studies. And until you, so, so what, what I, th I think without going into specific organizations, the challenge appears to be certainly the challenge in terms of my professional career is about a particular lens. And that, that lens, you know, if we can call it, it sounds awful, but fear free, which of course we can't be fear free, but to sort of have a, a fearless lens, a fearless lens, is perhaps a way to really focus on specific issues. So I think the way 
that I think about it is that fair trade tries to do 20 things. Um, this particular issue of fear and of violence is one of those 20. And so by focusing on this one, we also solve the other 19. If you like. <laughs> we'll have to solve all of them. Of course we do. But it's something that is a particularly difficult issue in agriculture worldwide and it's endemic. So, uh, yes, everyone has something to do to help in terms of organizations like fair trade. Um, but it does seem that if we're really going to make a difference, we've got to focus on this particular issue. That seems to be the evidence at the moment. Yeah, it's interesting. One of the things that, um, this conversation has brought to mind is the women's movement in Iran, young women's. Mm -hmm. And several people have commented to me about the extraordinary absence of fear that these women have are demonstrating. And I think it's a very, very unusual because to put your life and your body on the line like these people are doing must be, a t I would have thought, a terrifying experience. It does seem that, um, particularly looking at fear as a, as, a, as a particular negative energy, if you like, mm. or a negative force, that, that, that freedom... The, the opposite of fear, if you like, is it seems to be that freedom is really the opposite of fear rather than the opposite of anything else. That, that what we free ourselves from perhaps is our anxieties and our fears, but equally they can be very real. And, um, you know, to be brave and to be fearless and to reduce fear seems to be a particular area of Perhaps we just don't look at it from that lens, particularly politically and culturally. Perhaps we look at it slightly differently and include fear rather than focus on fear as absolutely fundamental to yeah. causative, should I say, rather than um, something that is an outcome. It seems to be that a cause of uh, many of the problems that we face. Yeah. We've got somebody else, Swan Barrett. Would you like to unmute yourself? Yes, thank you. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you for the meditation and, and the talk and all the comments. And um, I was just thinking uh, when you talk about fear and also connecting it to what Kit said earlier about feeling fear is that um, I think that one of the things about the fear that you're talking about like in the tea industry <clears throat> about the SIA is that it's fear like it's underground, you know, fear ex is expressed in so many different ways. Some people turn to revenge or violence, you know, to mask their fear. You know? um, and others, you know, you, they don't even express it. They turn completely inward. So sometimes we don't even recognize fear for what it is when we look at something, you know, so that's, why I think it's so important what Mike was saying that we need to look, you know, use our different lenses to look at what's going on and see, uh, see how fear is being expressed. Sometimes not as fear at all, you know, um, playing strong, covering it up or having a fear, um, that is so much a part of a social role, you know, within social systems because it touches such widely held social mores yeah and um yeah and i i too i wonder about what is it in 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 iran that has maybe it's because it's gone on so long maybe because there are many of them you know but something has opened up there for people to step over the fear in order to express what they want even in the face of uh this opposition so so, yeah, uh, thank you. Just sharing my thoughts that are coming up from what I'm hearing. Thank you. Thank you very much. That was a lovely contribution. Um, do you have anything to say in response to that, Mike? Well, I think it's this. Uh, thank, thank you, Swain. Um, it, it's this 
the hidden fear and the ability to for, for cultures, whether they're very local or even communities, to accept what is unacceptable, to accept behaviours that generate a lot of fear, and if, in this instance, if you like, in the tea industry, in violence, um, the, the the hidden nature of fear, the divisiveness of it, but it, the inability for communities to face into something and it's very easy for me to say that sat here, but the normalization of fear, yeah. you know, the normalization, and that's that in terms of the tea industry particularly, and, and in many agricultural industries, it's considered that certain violence, if you like, is or risk of violence, of fear, is normalized and accepted as the cost of being there. That's something that particularly women have to, or feel that they have to, to provide, for example, in tea, to provide for their families, they will accept well, that's not the right word but or will will live with the fear if you like um and uh and and it, uh, it also is enabled to remain and continue because it's unspoken and yeah, yeah. these things it's a very it's, it's a complex <laughs> issue but the idea that that fear sits there unaddressed it does feel entirely appropriate that once it's out in the open, that requires the goodwill. That's where the goodwill comes in. The goodwill that you can trust, that you won't be judged, that you won't be penalised, that you won't be victimised as a result of the fact that you're already a victim of, of fear of violence. Well, thank you very much. Um, actually, we're running out of time now. So I think we should bring things to a close with a big thank you to you, Mike, and also to all yeah. of you out there who've been participating in this webinar for your time and thoughtful and loving contributions. So I thought it would be a right thing to do, particularly in view of the appalling situation in the Middle East, to actually end this webinar by us saying it together again, the mantra of unification that we used earlier, and which hopefully is now going to come up on your screen. And it is. The souls of all are one, and I am one with them. I seek to love, not hate. I seek to serve and not exact due service. I seek to heal, not hurt. Let pain bring due reward of light and love. Let the soul control the outer form and life and all events and bring to light the love that underlies the happenings of the time. Let vision come and insight. Let the future stand revealed. Let inner union demonstrate and outer cleavages be gone. Let love prevail. Let all people love. So thank you all very much. And good night. <clears throat> you could announce the seminar. What? It needs all the announcement. <laughs> <laughs>